All right, Mark chapter number two. Would you stand with us, please? It'll give you an opportunity to rest yourself and we can honor the word of God by standing together for the reading of today's text. We're still looking through the life of Christ. This is message 34 in the life of Christ or in the Christ series. The companion text to the text that we're reading from and preaching from this morning, Matthew 9, verses 1 through 8, and then Luke 5, verses 17 to 26, where we'll be preaching on the account of Christ's miracle of forgiving and healing the paralytic. His miracle of forgiving and healing the paralytic. Mark's account is where we're reading from and preaching from this morning. Mark chapter number 2, verses 1 through 12. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They're always sitting there, you know. (laughs) You'll get that after a while. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Thank you for standing. Christ's miracle of forgiveness, he forgives and he heals this paralytic in the text. We've noticed from the life of Christ a number of, a number of um, events and occasions, how that um, he's had encounters with people. We've seen his preaching and we'll yet see some of his sermons as we continue to look at his life through the Gospels. Uh, we've noticed him as he cast out unclean spirits, and then we have seen his healing on occasions. And today we consider another one of these uh, occasions where Christ is healing. He's healing a man here, but he does more than just heal his body. He forgives him of his sins. Now, we're still looking at the life of Christ in his first year of ministry. The year is A.D. 27 moving closer and closer to A.D. 28. Of course, we've learned uh, of this biblical account of where this man um, that has the palsy, he's a paralytic, how that his four friends take him to Christ. Uh, Because of the crowd that was there, they could not get through the door. 
They couldn't get near him. He's in the house. They can't get through the door. And so they go up onto the rooftop, remove the tiles, let him down on his um, couch, his pallet, his bed, um, let him down into the midst of the home where Christ was. If you remember way back, we were talking about what it would have been like for Christ to grow up in Nazareth. You remember we talked about how all the homes were square-built homes with flat roofs. People didn't stay inside the house for the most part. When they visited with their neighbors, they visited from rooftop to rooftop. It was cooler in the evening, of course, on top of the house. And so there would always be a stairway or steps leading up to the house for ease of access. And there were people that was often, they were often found on top of their homes. And so it was not a hard thing. It was not a hard thing at all to get this man taken with palsy up to the roof uh, of this house. We've all heard Sunday school lessons and sermons regarding these four getting their friend to Jesus and Jesus healing and helping uh, this man. I don't want to burst your bubble. I'm sure I will with this. It's not intended just to burst your bubble. But there are even songs about this. One was made popular by a quartet. It's been many years ago regarding Lazarus perhaps being one of the four that carried the palsy man up onto the roof and led him down through the roof of the house uh, to Christ for this healing, this event of healing. But now that's uh, an impossibility. Lazarus will not be raised from the dead until two years past this particular account. Somebody might say, well, it doesn't matter. But now that's in the Bible, it matters. It may not be essential to your salvation, but if it's in the Bible, it matters. Everything in the Bible from Genesis 1-1 to the final amen at the revelation of Jesus Christ, it does matter. The Bible says the scriptures are of no private interpretation. In other words, you can't take a bit of it, run off over yonder and start a cultish following, and neither can I. We're to compare scripture with scripture and come to the conclusion that the Bible gives us in doing so. And all of our doctrine and all the important matters. Now, we can differ in some of the smaller areas of the faith, and we can go on. Uh, you can be wrong. I'm the only preacher I know that's right about everything. Can I get a witness? And um, I was thinking about when I learned that Brother Ronnie was going to be out this morning, I told Amanda, I said, he'll be out preaching. And I said, when any of these preachers are out, I miss them. And I do. I miss them. I miss these preachers when they're not here. I pray for them. It's good to see how God is gifted them. Do you realize in the years that I've been here, there's been either 16 or 17 preachers that have come through when they've been between churches. Brother Troy, when you're not here, we miss you. And we're glad that God's using you. And Brother Ronnie's not here, we miss him. And Brother Lynn is not here, we miss him. And Brother Dustin is battling this cancer. And of course, we miss him. They're all uniquely gifted. I love preachers. God had one son and he was a preacher. Before he ever died for our sins, he preached the word of God. And I'll say something about that, I'm sure, before I get through. Let me give you these verses, and I'll work through them uh, briefly, each of these headings. So don't let me scare you when I say I'm going to speak under six headings uh, this morning. When we were at Thrasher many years ago, one Sunday evening, Matthew wasn't big as a peanut. He leaned over on the counter, and he said, Daddy, I thought you said you wasn't going to preach long tonight. 
And then he kind of sighed as though he was tuckered out. But in verse number one, you'll find the location for this miracle or the place of the miracle. Verse number two, you'll find the exposition of the word Jesus preaches to the people. In verse number three and verse number five, you'll find the condition is mentioned of the man that is brought to Christ, this man brought by his four friends. In verse number four, there are the complications or the difficulties, the problems that the man individually faced in getting to Christ, and then the problems the four, his four friends faced in getting him to Christ. In verse number five through 12, really, uh, you'll find the situation or the case as it is brought to Christ. The paralytic's sins are forgiven and his body is healed. Then in verse number 12, the last two phrases, you'll find the jubilation over Christ's healing work or the praise the miracle produces. You note with me, verse number one, we'll work our way through these verses. Verse number one, there's the location for the miracle or the location of the miracle, the place where the miracle takes place. Verse number one, the Bible says, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days and it was noised that he was in the house. He's in Capernaum. That's located on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. I love this. The Bible says that, uh, says that Jesus and again he entered into Capernaum, the city of Capernaum and the citizens of Capernaum. They'll, uh, they, those that were living during that time, they witnessed a number of the miracles of Christ. They heard uh, much of the preaching of Christ and yet they did not have eyes to see. They did not have ears to hear. They rejected Christ, though he lived among them. He preached among them. He was in and out among them, in and out of their village, their marketplace. Uh, He would have been in the streets. He would have been all about the citizens of Capernaum. And he graced them with his presence, and yet they rejected him. Jesus gave them stern warning about their condemnation because of it. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 23, this is what he said. He said, And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, they would have remained unto this day. He said, Ladies and gentlemen, you have no excuse. The Son of God himself had lived and walked among them. They had heard his voice. They knew who he was when they met him in the streets. They knew he was the miracle worker. They knew he had been the carpenter from Nazareth. They knew well who he was, and yet they rejected him. And there will be people that will leave this walk of life like the citizens of Capernaum and will go to a Christless eternity even today. I cannot imagine what it must be like for someone in the hospital who's rejected Christ and taking their last breath here and opening their eyes in hell, very conscious that they rejected Christ. I cannot imagine what it must be like for a man in a fit of rebellion, running and drugged and And doing what he can to show the world and give the world what's for and taking his last breath here and and waking there in eternity without Christ. I know we're living in a time when people don't want to mention heaven nor hell. People think that heaven is just some fanciful thought in the mind and everybody winds up there, but everybody doesn't go to heaven that dies. You will go to heaven or you'll go to hell. It will depend on what you do. With Jesus Christ. Verse number one says, and it was noise that he was in the house. Which house is this? Well, look right there. Mark chapter one, look at verse 29. We said something about this. 
You remember on the rejection when, when the people of Nazareth in the synagogue rejected Jesus. You remember he then made his way to Capernaum. And Capernaum will now be his residence until he's crucified. That's where he will reside until he is crucified. And you remember there's a particular home that he has made his resident, uh, residency in. Verse number 29 of Mark chapter 1, the Bible says, And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. With me, there's no debate about it. I mean, this is where he's at. This is the house. I've heard people preach from the passage we're preaching from today and say, well, I wonder who the owner of the house was at Simon's house. That's where Jesus is teaching. That's where he's preaching. That's where the roof is going to be, um, going to be torn up, at least the center part of the top of the roof. It'll be through Simon's roof that he'll be let down into Simon's home. And Jesus is going to forgive him and to cleanse him. So this is the house that Jesus is in when this miracle takes place. It's become home base. You remember we spoke about this already. But Capernaum now is home base for Christ. As he goes out into the regions of Galilee, he goes out and he'll come back to Capernaum. He'll go to another area and he'll preach in the synagogues and in the open air and he'll come back to Capernaum. And so now Simon and Andrew's home is Jesus' home. He's welcome in their house. This is home base for him now. The location of the miracle. It is in Capernaum at the house of Simon Peter. Verse number two, there's the exposition of the word. Look at me at verse number two. The Bible says, in straightway were many gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. Uh, no, not so much as about the door. In other words, you couldn't even get through the door. And he preached the word unto them. And verse number one, many people are gathered. The Bible says they are, you'll find the phrase, in the house. So there's so many that you couldn't get through the front door. No doubt that's the way the four wanted to bring the paralytic in, but they can't get through. There's such a throng around even the front door, around the front of the house, and so they couldn't even get through. So as the crowd has come in and got settled, the Bible tells us in verse number two, at the end of the verse, that he preached the word of God unto them. I'm reminded every time I come to Mark's gospel Turn back to chapter 1. I want to show you something. Maybe you want to underline this in your Bible. It's underlined in mine. Every time I come to the book of Mark, I'm reminded of how Mark, uh, his target audience was the Romans. The Romans were industrious people. They wanted to get a lot of work done and produce much, and so they believed in labor. They believed in being very industrious and, and, um, and what have you. And so Mark, as he writes about Christ and presents Christ in his gospel, let me show you some phrases that just keep repeating themselves through the book of Mark. Chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 10, and straightway. Verse number 12 says, and immediately. Verse number 14 begins, now. Verse number 16, the shift changes, the scene changes again. It says, now. Verse number 18, and straightway. Verse number 20, and straightway. Verse number 21, and they went into Capernaum and straightway. Uh, down in verse number 29, and forthwith. Verse number 32, and at even. Verse number 35, and in the morning. Verse number 42 of the first chapter, and as soon as he had spoken, immediately. In chapter number 2, again, the, uh, you begin with, and again. Then verse number 2, and straightway. 
We're reminded of the busy life of our Lord when we come to Mark's writing. As John Mark writes about Christ, his life and his ministry, it was a, it was a, it was a busy life that he lived. He was very industrious himself. He was busy, busy about the most important of matters. See the gathering of the multitude in Simon's house in verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised abroad, or it was noised that he was in the house, and straightway were uh, many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. He's preaching the word of God. No, no doubt there were many that would gather in. Uh, they want to see Jesus. They want to see this miracle worker. They want to hear him. It's probably the miracles that have drawn many of them. Because we know that the crowds that followed him would fluctuate. At times, there'll be a great number that would be following him and throng him. And then at times, such as in John 6, when he preached to them about he being the bread of life, a multitude would turn and walk away. As long as he's performing miracles and they think they've got a shot with him, they're willing to show up and be present. But when it comes to the claims of Christ upon their lives, they identify themselves and they walk away. And no doubt this crowd has gathered and they've gathered because of the miracle worker. He's in Capernaum. He's in Simon's house. And so let's get to him and let's try to see him. In verse number two, is the Bible says at the end of verse number two, and he preached the word unto them. And he preached the word unto them. I think about that and I think about his preaching of the word of God. And may I say this, with our missions conference approaching. I appreciate the message, by the way, Brother Ronnie Owen preached here Wednesday evening regarding missions. That is the responsibility of every child of God to get the gospel around the globe, uh, both to the Eastern and Western hemisphere, to every continent, to every country, to every region, every state, every province, every village. It is our responsibility to get the word of God around the world. Does it matter uh, where a man's from, he deserves to hear the gospel and hear that Christ died for the sins of the world and forgiveness offered through Christ to them. And we owe that to the world. Somebody got the gospel to us. And I want to thank you for in years past how you've given to our missions program. And we look forward to the next coming year and what will be given. And for our size of a church, I think we do wonderfully. And, and, and I wish we could give... Uh, just uh, bundles and bundles of money away. But we are able to support 20-some-odd missionaries on a monthly basis at a set amount. And then there are times through the year we learn of other needs. It may be Brother Sarah Pauly or someone will have, and we try to help meet those needs. Sometimes we hear of a preacher and we know of his struggles. And maybe we'll try to reach into our accounts and try to do something for them. It's a joy to give, more blessed to give than to receive uh, Paul quoted from our Lord. And I tell you what a blessing it is to help get the gospel around the globe. I'm reminded, though, when I think about our upcoming uh, missions conference, I'm reminded of the great commission left in Matthew 28. Again, just to your left, if you want to turn a page, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, in the name, not the names, plural, like some of our friends would try to throw off on us with. But it says the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Did you know getting the gospel out more times than not? If you see an, an upstart, an astronomical growth uh, in some something like that, do you know oftentimes now, I, I'm willing to be to stand corrected, but you know a lot of times that will fizzle out somewhere down the road. Do you know how most people are one to the Lord? Most people are one to the Lord, just like these four that bring the one. And they'll befriend somebody and they'll begin to come to church with them and, and they'll hear the gospel and trust Christ. Brother Ken Trivet will be here preaching in the missions conference. I told him the first December that we went up to help with his Christmas, uh, with what he does at Christmas and in December of every year there on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation that I appreciated the fact that you, that he does not try to pressure people into making professions of faith, but he loves them and preaches the gospel to them. And through these years, these 12 years right at it now, uh, he's seen people just uh, get under conviction, hear the gospel, and uh, and then bow before Christ. And it's been a beautiful thing to watch how God has taken a group of people and that, who needed to be ministered to. Now, some of them, God is raising them up, and they're helping minister there themselves in that church. That's a beautiful thing. As a matter of fact, that's church planning at its best. Preach the word. Let the Holy Spirit do the work, right? And then when the Holy Spirit puts the truth of the Bible in them, it's one thing for you to get a hold to a Bible, quite another for the truth of it to get a hold to you and change your life. And you just can't change who you are at that point. And that's been a beautiful thing to watch at Pine Ridge and at other places I could use for an example as well. But Brother Ken, we all know Brother Ken and love he and Miss Sherry and so many of our, all of our missionaries but with approaching missions conference, I thought about the Great Commission uh, uh, that is um, uh, that is uh, is given to the church and given to God's people. But as I said and read uh, over recent days, this last phrase where Jesus preached the word of God unto them, I'm reminded, of course, you know I speak of my relationship with preachers uh, quite often before you, but I'm reminded of the commission given to every preacher that's living on the face of the earth that ever has lived or ever will be called of God. Paul would say to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter number 20, verse number 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now I'm telling you, ministry, priority number one is to study and that we may show ourselves approved unto God. It is to study so that we may be, able, may be able to feed. Some of you keep up with Richard Kleinard in social media. Don't you like those porch ponderings? And don't you like when he takes a shot at his, at his little flock of sheep? He'll talk to you about uh, uh, they know what time they're, they are to be fed. They know what they're going to be fed. He has a regular diet that he feeds them. And he says, sometimes I give them the good stuff. He says, don't give them that all the time. I give them the good stuff just on special occasion, but he's drinking his coffee as the sun comes up and looking out of his, uh, looking out of his, uh, his back, uh, his back door. A lot of times drinking his coffee. He said, those sheep will come and they'll stare right at the back door. They're waiting on something. They're waiting on him to come feed them. And you know, I've found it to be the case that if we'll put something out there for sheep to eat, sheep will show up and they will, they're looking for their diet if you ever get a taste of the word of God, the circus atmosphere 
it'll never satisfy you again. If you ever get a taste of what the word says and it means something to you, I'm going to tell you, if you're sitting where Dustin Kindler is sitting, if you're sitting where Zach Coates and those those ants of his are sitting today over in the shoals in Alabama, I'm going to tell you what's going to make a difference. Miss Myra reached out to me last night. Uh, she said, Brother Kevin, she said, we're relying on the truth of the word of God to get us through. We're relying on the Holy Spirit to get us by. Uh, we're leaning upon God and the strength that he has to give us. And I'm going to tell you, when you sit where they're seated today, it isn't going to matter who could swing a chain and do a tap dance in front of a church or whether or not you had a church softball team in the softball league down in the church league. But we'll, what will matter is whether or not you know God and you know anything about God. Now, that's going to matter. When you have to make a difficult decision about a mother or a grandmother or a husband or a wife that's on the other side of a door in intensive care, I tell you, it's going to matter what you know about God. It's going to matter whether or not you know the peace of God, and that's going to come through the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you, if God calls me home today and I don't make it finish with this sermon, you look to these deacons, and you deacons, I charge you right now, you get with God in prayer. And when you sit down and talk with a pastor, just any time Dick and Harry ain't going to do, you find out if they're going to study. You find out if they'll shut themselves away and get a word from the word. You know what preaching is? I love what Brother Ronnie Owen said recently. Preaching is giving the text a voice. That's what preaching is. It is declaring. It is giving the text a voice. Now, wouldn't it be awful if we come here and I read a text and never said anything about it? If, if, listen, if a man, I don't care if he is the simplest in his approach in the word of God, if he'll just tell me what the verse says or the verses are saying, if he'll give me the gist of it, close his Bible, let me go home, I'll be satisfied. I told our students at the Bible Institute uh, Thursday night, we had unusual move of God. We haven't had that in a while at our classes, and we don't let class get in the way. Brother Don, in his unassuming way, was teaching his class. He tore the flesh all to pieces. He didn't even know what was going on. It's like God slipped in there on us. You know what I'm saying when I say when I say that. Brother Chris McCord was visiting Wednesday night. His son-in-law got saved sometime back. And I'm telling you, God's touched the old boy. And we were standing in the hall before I began my class after Brother Don taught. And Brother Chris, he said, Preacher, that's needed. I said, we'll tell you what happened. I said, he tore our flesh all to pieces tonight. I said, yeah, it's needed. And I said, did you sense when he couldn't get off his two first points, he couldn't get his lesson taught, and God kept just bringing him back to sin and pride in our lives? I'm telling you, we wound up on our faces in my class. And uh, just just uh, what God had, had been doing. But I told those men, look, uh, I believe that you can run me off, and if you run me off today, you're a Sunday too late. You do much better for a pastor. You don't have to tell me that. I'll tell you that. I plan to finish the journey with you. When I talk to pulpit committees, I never entertain talking to them about leaving. I never do that. It's been that way for years now. I plan on fin If you can put up with me, I think I can put up with most of you. Can I get a witness? But I plan on finishing the journey. But let's suppose I had a stroke like the coach man over in the shows. Let's suppose I had a stroke and couldn't pastor anymore. You know what I want my pastor if I'm between, if I get to where I can't pastor and I'm sitting on a church pew? You know what I want him to do? I don't want him to come see me Monday morning, sip coffee and run the, 
run the community gossip with me. I, I don't want, I, I stay away from as much gossip as I possibly can. The Bible says, withdraw thy foot from thy neighbor's house, lest he weary of thee. I don't know who, I don't know who you like and who you don't like, and I don't want to know. I don't want that shaping my mind. That's why I stay to myself. Now, my wife's got a big mouth. I have to listen to her at home a lot of times. But you know what? If I get to where, Daryl Duffy, if I get to where I have a stroke or I'm in an accident in an automobile and I can't pastor and I'm sitting on church pew under a pastor, you know what I want him to do? Betsy, I want him to preach to me. Hey, he don't have to come see me. If he'll get up in the pulpit on a Sunday, if they have Sunday night services, Wednesday or Revival, I want somebody to tell me what the Bible says. That book's what's going to get me by. I've learned that through the years. I Look, I was connected with things back years ago and got to seeing through it all. And I'm glad God delivered me from all of that. I don't need a show. I don't need anybody. To, just tell me what the Bible says. The commission left to a preacher is to, is to feed the flock of God. Paul would write to the Roman believers in Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It's odd how God chose this means to get his gospel out, isn't it? Call a man. Consume a man. I've told this, I've said this a number of times as of late. If a man can quit, if he's in the ministry and he can quit, he really ought to. If he can quit, he ought to quit. A man's got a call of God on him. He can't quit. He may be like Ronnie Cannon just on the other side of Atlanta, Georgia. He can't, he's, a, he's getting up in his years. He can't hold out like he used to hold out. He is a, he was saved at driving a truck. And what he does is he gets sermons, our sermons, other sermons, uh, runs them off, duplicates them, and he'll run 20 interstate, stopping at every truck stop and leaving sermons for people to get up. He's got reports through the years of people being saved. He can't do what he once could do, but he can still do something. And so God has called him. That's why he does what he does. Paul went on to write in Romans ten fifteen, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. To the church at Colossae, he wrote in Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29, whom we preach, speaking of Christ, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, that is complete, mature in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Then you know, you know what he said to Timothy in his swan song, just before he put the pen down, just before he would be beheaded by Nero. You remember what he wrote? He wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. Preach the word. He said, Timothy, that's what I've got to say to you, son. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. The word picture for that is a runner in the starting block. He's waiting for the snap of the gun. He's ready at just a split second's notice. He's ready to... To, to start his race or to get in the race. He said, son, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Many years ago, Dr. James Travis, who's been with the Lord for a lot of years, no telling how many ministerial students he taught at Blue Mountain College. Many years ago in a morning uh, conference, Northeast Mississippi, 
pastor's conference. He knew there was a bunch of us young whippersnappers sitting out there just chomping at the bits. He said, young men, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, preach at the drop of a hat, and if nobody else will drop theirs, throw yours down and go to preaching. And I'm going to tell you, a man that don't want to preach, that says he's been called to preach, he ought to sit down. i tell you what he ought to do is get him a milk route somewhere so that he can be a blessing to somebody and sit down and get out of the way. Now, this is serious business, preaching the word of God. Eternal matters are at hand. Perhaps there's someone here today, you're lost without Christ. You don't need me to get up and tell jokes today. You need to know that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, everything in the Old Testament said somebody's coming. He's on the way. The gospels say he's here. The book of Acts says he's gone away, promised to return again. The epistles teach us how to live until he comes and gets us. And Revelation uh, winds it all up for us. And so the word of God's all about him. It's amazing there are those who say you can't find Jesus in the Old Testament. But after his resurrection in Luke chapter number 24, he joined himself to Cleopas. And I'm, con- I'm convinced it was Mary, his wife, because he goes to their home. And the Bible says, And he, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, expounded unto them the things concerning himself. These liberals today can't find Christ in the Old Testament. He had no problem finding himself in the Old Testament. All of the book is about him. The location for the miracle. The exposition of the word of God, Christ preaches. And then there's the condition of the man that is brought to Christ for healing. Look at verse 3 and verse number 5. Verse number 3, the Bible says, And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Verse number 5, When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy. The man's problem is he's sick of the palsy. In other words, he's a paralytic man. Uh, is is what he is. I have known, I'm sure you have known. As a matter of fact, the young man I've referred to a couple of times, Zach Coates, he's paralyzed down his right side. He cannot pronounce his words. Even his right eye, he can't hardly blink it or anything according to his end. I've known some men through the years that were stricken with paralysis. A lot of times it is because of a car accident or wrecking an ATV or something along those lines. I know a couple of men that are uh, that are paraplegic, some that are quadriplegic, and, and of course they're limited in what they can do. I have known a couple of men that could do absolutely nothing for themselves. And this man, he can't do anything for himself. He can't get to Christ, so his friends are going to bring him. The man's problem was paralysis. Now, the man's friends show him kindness. They're willing to do for him what he cannot do for himself. They're willing to get him to Christ. There's the compassion of his friends. The four, according to verse number three, and they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born, that is carried of four. Four men are going to show compassion and the four men are going to care for their friend. Four are going to care for the one and get him unto Jesus. I was thinking about, I was thinking about back when we were up in Prentice County, the church, when I took the church, they said two weeks. You're going to take off two weeks a year, two weeks. You can save it, and we're going to run you out of here at the end of the year, but you're taking it. Every you're going to take it. We'd go out to Sally's at Christmas, and we would stay out there. And Brother Terry Oswalt, that's where we'd go to church on Sunday. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking about Brother Jimmy, their, uh, their, their Sunday school teacher. He's as sharp in the Word of God as anybody, uh, anybody I've ever sat under. We used to look forward to it. I'd preach for Brother Terry while we were, while we were out there. You know what Brother Terry's done through the years? 
He'd leave his home. He has to travel about 20 minutes to get to where he pastors, maybe a little bit more than that. And there's a small trailer park. And Brother Terry, there are people that move in and move out quite regular. And when somebody else moves in, he knocks on the door. He asks, he invites them to the church. And if they want to come, he asks if he and Miss Glenda can pick them up on Sunday. And those years that we went out there during that time, Brother Terry and Miss Glenda would always have one, two, three, or four uh, little boys and girls in their back seat. They were happy somebody stopped and got them and took them to church. They loved going to Sunday school. They would color on their pages and take those home. Their moms and dads never came with them, but, but Brother Terry always did that. Somebody cared. That preacher cares, you see. I'll preach this week with Brother Stacy Lane. You've heard his name. Perhaps one day we can have him here, but he's one of my favorite preachers in all the world. As a matter of fact, he's one of the most gifted preachers I've ever met in my life. Brother Stacy, I love to hear him tell about. I've heard him tell about. As a matter of fact, we'll preach this week together, and we'll preach up. Uh, we'll preach in uh, in November. Been preaching that meeting together for about the last six years. He and I will preach revival services out there in, at the Macedonia Baptist Church there in the Taylorsville, North Carolina area. But I've heard Brother Stacy talk about when he was saved. He said he didn't know anything about God. He was ten years old. They lived in a trailer park. He said we just kind of run and fended for ourselves. He said, I had a friend, his name was Weasel. And he said, Weasel's mom and daddy got to go into church and got saved. And he said, Weasel said, we were praying, playing one day in the trailer park. And Weasel said, Stacy, won't you go to church with us tonight? Said it was a Sunday night. Said he said, I, I think I will. And uh, of course, uh, they come by and picked him up. He said, never had seen anything like it in my young life. He said, people were calling one another brothers and sisters. And he said, then there was a man seemed to be calling the shots that he got up and had a lot to say and said, people were saying amen and went and gathered around an altar and got down like they were crawling around and trying to get to a place. Of course, he's talking about they, they were praying and altered in the invitation. He said, after the service said, they took me to McDonald's with them. He said, bought me a hamburger and dropped me off. And he said, weasel said, he said, Stacy said, we're going to go back church Wednesday. You want to go? And he said, he said, believe a will. And said he went Wednesday and the next Sunday morning, they said, Stacy, you want to go? And said, bought him a hamburger after church and said, we're going back church tonight. You want to go? And he said, weasel, I think I will. And then that second Sunday night is when he was saved. I believe I've got that right. Saved by the grace of God. And I'm telling you, God did a work. God did a work in his life. Johnny and Wanda and, and Andrew and Jay and Colby and Ava Grace have heard and Luke and Will have heard the old preacher two years ago. That was his pastor, got saved in prison got out of prison. He was preaching. Stacy said in those days when people were being saved, said it was just a move of God. He said a matter of seconds, one night there were 15 saved and said that this guy that just been let out of prison, just an act of God, he even got out of prison. He was locked up for a long sentence because of drugs and they rewrote a law and he was able to be released early. But in the meantime, God shut him up in prison. He heard a prison preacher and got saved. And then God called him to preach, and he didn't even know what God was doing. He just knew he's supposed to tell somebody what God had done for him. I've heard Stacy tell it. Now, every time I hear him tell it, if he ever preaches here, I'm sure you'll get to hear it. And I want you to hear it. But every time I've ever heard him tell it, I, I think about, and I marvel over how God worked in a 10-year-old boy's life. You know, I was thinking about that this week and was thinking about what he did in my life. I, I remember I was 22, just shy of my 23rd birthday, and we moved in over at uh, Buckhead in the fall of 1989 and got to go into church because my neighbor Tommy Hall invited me. He just cared enough to invite me to come to church with him. And you've heard me tell the story and got to go. And then on over in February, 
on over in February, I was saved by the grace of God on a Friday night. And I'm telling you, I was just shy of my 23rd birthday, 22 years old, didn't know the lingo, didn't know or to tuck my shirt tail, didn't know anything about anything, didn't know anything about the Bible, just didn't know anything much about anything, scared to make a move. I was afraid God would strike me with lightning if I did the wrong thing, you know, and I'd listen to them old heads and they were like mamas and daddies to me and my wife and and then shortly after that, God began to deal with me to preach. I had a pastor that was patient with me. I'd tell him, Brother Charlie, God wants me to do something. I just don't know what it is. And I'd be shaking like a leaf. When I, and he'd say, ah, that's all right, son. That old deep, raspy voice. God will make it clear. I'm going to tell you what the problem was. I knew exactly what God wanted me to do. I just wasn't ready to get around to doing business for God. I knew exactly. When God talks to you, you'll know exactly what he's saying. He'll say it. If you're a redneck, he'll put it in redneck language. If you're an English lit major, he'll say it to you so you can understand it in good language. I'm telling you, he talks where you can understand him. Can I get a witness? And God did that for me. At the age of 25, he called me to preach. And I've got to see some amazing things. I'm going to have to quit in a minute. Y'all not listening fast enough. Not, I'm not going to throw my third point. I've got six of them. But, but I've thought about it. Whenever they said, we've not seen it on this fashion before, I could stand here the rest of the day and cause y'all to miss McKinley's bridal shower telling you of things God has graced me with and let me be a witness to. I'm telling you, I've seen some unusual things through the years. If I were to tell you about some of them, you'd think, why, surely not. My wife has been a witness to a lot of it, been right there the whole journey with me. God's been good to every one of us to allow the word of God to be preached. But somebody, it all started because somebody had compassion on me. Somebody saw a need in my life. Somebody cared. They didn't push me into anything. They cared enough to give an invitation, extend a right hand, and lead me in the way to Christ. There's the cooperation of the friends. I won't deal with it. But the cooperation of these friends, think about it. The four bring one. They had to work together to do it. They had to work together to get him up the staircase. They had to work together to lay him to the side while they took the tile. They had to work together to lower him. And you know, in order to have a church, you got to work together, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't say you have to agree on everything. I've already told you I'm the only fellow that's right about everything around here. There are the essentials of the faith. I'm going to have to quit. I haven't given you this in a long time. Church in Belmont, the largest church in Belmont, as a matter of fact, someone on the pulpit committee, uh, their pastor died. It's been about three years ago now, maybe four, called me and said, Brother Kevin, in the pulpit committee meeting, I told them something you used to tell us. Um, Richard Baxter, the 17th century preacher, used to have this. And Augustine, the church father as well, talked about the essentials of the faith, the cardinal doctrines of the faith, the virgin birth of Christ, the blood atonement of Christ, the bodily resurrection of Christ, the essentials of the faith said we have to have unity. That's what they said. And all I've done is passed it on to others through the years. In non-essentials, we can have, um, we'd have unity in the essentials, but in non-essentials, we can have liberty. Liberty. In other words, you can do things your way 
and I can do things my way, as long as it's not violating Scripture, you go and live your life, and I'll live my life. Sometimes somebody say, well, I won't give you my two, th- two cents about it. Keep your two cents for my part. Say amen right there. If the Bible isn't clear on something, you can't be clear about anything the Bible is not clear on. As a matter of fact, there's a whole lot could get cut out in pulpits if we just quit saying what the Bible doesn't say and say what the Bible says. You don't have to beat people up to cause them to fall in love with Christ and do right. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, the Bible says. Tell you what makes me love him more and more is just know how good he's been to me. To me. Of all people, he has been good. I'm like Doug Jones. I feel like I'm his pet. He's been that good to me. In the essentials of the faith, let's have unity. Non-essentials, let's have liberty. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. If there's something in my life needs to go, now if it's a blatant sin that needs to go, it needs to go. In the essentials of the faith, unity. We all ought to be together. It'd be awful if Brian Jenkins, teaching back here in the back, teaching Sunday school, taught a doctrine that's not found in the Bible and knew he knew it wasn't in the Bible and he was doing it as a direct insult to try to divide what I've been standing on out of the Word of God out here. Now, wouldn't it, Brian? You'd admit that. David Box, wouldn't that be right? That'd be the way. That would, and that happens in churches all the time. But in Scripture, let's have unity. Now, in the non-essentials, let's have liberty. But in all things, we are to show charity. In all things, we're to display the love of God. Ah, I don't want to get in trouble, and I don't want to insult you. But if you won't show up and chew me out, I'd probably take the chewing. But I, you're not chewing a whole lot. But I tell you what you do. If you, if you approach me and say, no, Brother Kevin, I want to talk to you about something. There's not been anybody, whether they attend this church now or attended used to and have left this church, that can say, Brother Kevin would not listen to me. I couldn't talk to Brother Kevin. Not one can say that. I've tried it the other way. It don't work. It doesn't matter if someone dislikes you or me. We can still do right. We can still maintain a good spirit. We can still let them see Christ in us. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. If I don't, I'm afraid Anasia's going to leave and say, my preacher's a long-winded preacher. Brother Greg, you and Miss Angie come. We'll finish this up next Sunday, the Lord willing. Let's stand.